0: The Bible reading this morning is from Micah chapter five. It's on page 931 of the Bibles that you were given as you came in. So page 931, Micah chapter five. But before we read, we're going to pray. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, give us faith to receive your word understanding to know what it means and the will to put it into practice through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. So Micah chapter five on page 931, starting at verse one. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labour bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites." He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. They will live securely, for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth. And he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses. We will raise against them seven shepherds and eight commanders. A second reading is on um, page 1179, 1179 from Philippians chapter 2, just one verse, verse 8. It says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, hello again um, as we reflect on these passages from the bible uh, let's ask for god's help pray with me heavenly father thank you for the joy of seeing yumi and wilson and nancy baptized uh, help us now to see what this decision they've made means help us to see this death of christ they've been baptized into and this new life they've been raised with christ to help us to see you in jesus name we pray amen Uh, Well, a special welcome to you, Uh, if you're visiting as one of the friends and family of Wilson, Nancy, and Yumi. um, I remember watching baptisms as a child. Our family went to a church that used to do baptisms in a swimming pool. And I remember as a child being quite confused, you know, what's this all about? But I remember the joy, you know, everyone was just so happy. Like, that was the feel of the whole event. And so I was thinking, you know, who are these special people that get to be baptized? You know, what makes them so special? It wasn't so much until afterwards, until after I decided to follow Jesus myself as an older person and I went to a few more baptisms, that I understood that baptism, you know what we've just done over there with the water and all that, baptism is less about the people getting baptized than the God that they've chosen to be baptized in the name of. Baptism is more about God than people. And actually, so is Christmas. Christmas. So it's Christmas. We're a week away from Christmas. Um, Christmas is also more about God than people. And so, our question this morning we've had baptism for a week away from Christmas is who is this God? Who is this God that Yumi and Wilson and Nancy have chosen to be baptized in the name of? Who is this God that they've made a special declaration today to trust and to follow? And who's this god that we celebrate at christmas so you see whether this is your first time at church and if it is we we, we warmly welcome you to, to to st stephen's or whether this is your 100th time to a church service whether you're 10 years old or 100 years old we all have a picture of god in our heads we all think god is something uh, some people think god is like santa you know, he comes down and gives us what we want if we're being really good Some people think that God's only necessary for people who need Him, uh, for the weak, for weak people who need that maybe spiritual security to get by with life. But the rest of us, well, we don't we don't need God even, even if He does exist. So we come to the Bible this morning. I want to say that a lot of people think that the Bible is there to try and prove God. And that's not quite right. You see, the Bible isn't so much interested in proving that God is real it's far more interested in telling us who God is. What's God like? What's he like as a person? And primarily, it's saying to us, the God that you might have in your head, he's actually too small. He's too small. The true God, the God that the Bible speaks about, he's so much bigger. He's so much bigger than any God that you can imagine in your head. And so I want to show you two things about this God from our passages this morning. And the first thing is that, This is a God in complete control of human history, complete control. And we see this in chapter 5 of Micah. Now, who is Micah? Uh, He's talking about our student minister who's called Micah, a very musical person. But Micah was a prophet of God from around 750 BC to 680 BC. And the words that God spoke through Micah to the nation of Israel, uh, they're recorded for us here. And our passage, this passage, chapter 5, verse 1 to 5, it's actually a passage of hope. But to understand that hope, we actually have to understand a little bit about the historical background. It's kind of like uh, if I told you I, sc- I scored a goal in soccer, in football, you might say to me, well done, that's good for you, that's great. But if I said our team was 3-0 down, and, and we, we, we caught up, and in the last minute I scored the winning goal, that's a much different story, isn't it? Uh, that story is a story that hasn't happened yet, it's in my dreams. Um, but the main point, you get the point. The point, what's the story behind Micah uh, chapter 5? Why is this a hope passage? Well, during this time, the nation of Israel was in decline. I've got a few slides to help us illustrate this. It had its glory days in King David around 1000 BC, but by 750 BC, it was in decline. Uh, there was a big civil war uh, that split the nation into two. Uh, so the 10 tribes in the north, they just became known as Israel. And the two tribes in the south became known as Judah. Now, the big superpower at the time was uh, the empire of Assyria, uh, the Assyrians. And in the time of Micah's life, uh, Israel, that northern kingdom, the ten tribes, it would be destroyed and uh, its people deported away. And Micah, well, Micah was sent by God um, to Judah, the southern kingdom. And his message uh, was that they had become corrupt. They'd become corrupt. Their leaders were oppressing the poor, oppressing the weak, oppressing the vulnerable. They'd abandoned God's commandments and ethics, and they'd broken their promise to worship him. Uh, Micah's famous contemporary was the prophet Isaiah. Uh, we read a passage from Isaiah last week. Uh, both were speaking to at the same time to the same group of people. And God's particular message through Isaiah in, in chapter 7 of Isaiah was that Assyria, that superpowered empire, was going to be God's instrument for judgment on his people. And in 701 BC, the armies of Assyria laid siege to Jerusalem and their king Hezekiah. And that's probably what Micah was prophesying about in verse 1. So if you turn to me to Micah chapter 5, verse 1, Micah says. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler with a rod. Uh, as recorded in both the history books and the Bible, the fearsome armies of Assyria lay siege to Jerusalem. They lock its people up in fear, make their king look foolish and weak. You know, being besieged was one of the worst situations for an ancient city to be in. Uh, if you're into movies and that kind of stuff, think of Lord of the Rings. Um, you know that kind of horror of being surrounded. You know, no supplies of food and all that, just waiting for the enemies to attack. But amidst amid this kind of situation, God gives a surprising word of hope to Micah, uh, to his people through Micah. They will be rescued, not by you know these guys, the riders of Rohan, but by a baby, a baby to be born until the time when she who is in labour bears a son. Verse three. God will bring about a baby, a baby who would become an unexpected uh, rescuer for his people and show that God was in complete control of history. You see, this um, promise through Micah about a rescuer to come in the future um, was actually promised centuries ago, um, starting all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Uh, We looked at that two weeks ago. And then also also to Jacob, the forefather of Israel, through to David, as Sam uh, told us last week, and now to Micah. See, God had a plan that started all the way back from the beginning of human history. And Micah tells us that, A, this plan is still intact, and B, Micah gives us some clearer details to what this plan actually looks like. You know, who is this rescuer that is going to come? What will he be like? And so if you turn to me to verse 2, this rescuer baby will be born in the little town of Bethlehem in line with the origins from of from ancient days. Bethlehem was the hometown of David, and God had promised centuries ago to him that his special king would come in that line, from that home city, would be David's descendant. But these ancient promises go even further back from David, to Jacob, the forefather of Israel. God, through Jacob, promises that it's Judah. If you look at verse 2, Judah's tribe would be the tribe where God's kings and rulers come from. Uh, really interesting fact, the first mention of Bethlehem in the Bible is Genesis chapter 35, where Rachel, Jacob's wife, dies while giving birth. But here, in Micah, God's turning that story around. This special baby who would become his, his special king is born in that same place. God's turning around that story. Uh, verse 3 is another turnaround story. Um, God will write uh, in verse 3, uh, Israel will be abandoned. God's people will be thrown around by different empires, uh, Babylon, Persia, the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great, Rome, until this baby is born. And then Israel will reunite under his rule. His rule will reunite God's people. But notice how he will rule. Verse 4, He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. He'll be like a shepherd. He'll be like a shepherd. You see, God didn't want his king to rule with violence or brutality, but with the care and gentleness of a lowly shepherd. God's people will rest securely, it says in verse 4. Yes, through the might and majesty of this king, but also through his shepherd-like care and gentleness. That's why God chose the lowly Bethlehem to bring about the one who, we're told in verse 4, his greatness reaches the end of the earth. This is a king and also a shepherd, a shepherd king. And this shepherd king will bring about true peace, verse 5, and he will be our peace. Assyria will be defeated. And the history books will say that the Assyrian siege of Jerusalem in 701 BC, it failed. And historians struggle to explain why. But in the Bible, in, one, in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, it records that it was God who miraculously destroyed that Assyrian army in answer to King Hezekiah's prayers. And yet Hezekiah, though he was from the line of Bethlehem in David, and though he had a deep trust in God, though people at that time may have thought that he was this special one, he wasn't. He wasn't God's promised ultimate ruler. The promised ruler and shepherd, it was another man. Another man born in Bethlehem. Born in the line of Judah and of David. It was Jesus. This man Jesus, born in Bethlehem that very first Christmas, is God's promised king and shepherd. He is our peace. He will reunite God's people beyond just the nation of Israel. His greatness will reach the ends of the earth. He fulfills this prophecy in Micah chapter 5. And I just want to pause here and ask, is your God as big as this God? Is your God as big as this God? This God has written a story in history that no one else could make up. Is your God one who can manipulate great empires as if if they were puppets just to bring about his promises a millennium later? Is your God one who can promise both judgment and rescue and bring it all about in the most unlikeliest of ways? Is your God in complete control of human history? This God is in complete control of history. But more than that, More than that, Jesus is more than just this special human rescuer promised through Micah. The God in complete control of history is also the God who entered into human history. Jesus is both man and God. And so, if you turn to me, turn with me to Philippians chapter two, verse six. Uh, Philippians chapter two, verse six. It was the second passage, um, and we'll look at this. Is our second point the God who entered history. Verse 6, Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being found in, and being made in human likeness. The God of the Bible is not just a God in control of human history, but a God who himself entered into human history. You see, the miracle of Christmas That we celebrate it's not just that god gives us his son yes that's true but it's about this divine son giving up his residence in heaven with the father to dwell in our broken world Uh, there's a show on amazon prime that i've been watching it's kind of like trash tv it's called lux listings it's about these real estate agents um they're kind of full of themselves and that's kind of what the whole show is all about um, and they're they're selling these incredible houses in Sydney, uh, mostly in the eastern suburbs. But these houses, they're insane, and the people that buy them and and live in them, they're insane too. They're insanely rich. But my point is, you never imagine, you can never imagine someone who lives in those houses giving that up. You know, giving up living in one of those mega mansions to go and live in a slum, right? You wouldn't see that. The incarnation, the miracle of the incarnation, that God coming down to earth, taking on human nature. It wasn't a holiday for him. It wasn't an adventure. It was was humbling. Look at verse 8. It was humiliating. Verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why would Jesus do this? He didn't have to. God didn't have to rescue his people who had turned their back on him. But he did it because he wanted to, because of his heart, because of his heart of grace and love. He wanted to be our shepherd. He wanted to rescue us. He wanted us to have peace. Jesus' downward journey, giving up residency in heaven to live in our broken world, taking on our weak human nature, being humiliated on the cross, that was all voluntary. Voluntary. It was all because of his heart. And so I want to ask you this. Does the God you believe in have a heart that is that big? How big is the heart of your God? You want to know what the name Micah means in Hebrew. Uh, Micah, do you know what Micah means in Hebrew? In Hebrew, Micah means who is like God. Uh, Who is like God. And that's Micah's main message. And that's his big question to us. And that's a question I want to leave with you. Who is like this God that we've seen? Who is like him? Who comes even close to comparing with him? This is a God in complete control of human history. And yet this is also a God who he himself entered into human history to save us, to bring us true peace, to be our shepherd, to be our king. This is the God that we celebrate at Christmas. And this is the God that you, me, and Wilson and Nancy have decided to follow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us the faith to see just how big you are. Give us the comfort and the peace that can only come from you. You are the one who is so mighty to be in complete control of history, and yet also you are so loving and gracious that you would enter into history to save us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.